Hello, and welcome to our 2023 U.S. Life Sciences Regulatory Outlook podcast series. I'm Greg Levine, head of the Life Sciences Regulatory and Compliance Practice Group at Ropes and Gray, based in Washington, D.C. Earlier this month, I sat down with several of my colleagues from our Washington, D.C. office to discuss our expectations for the coming year. I was joined by Kelly Combs, Josh Oyster, and Beth Wyman from our Life Sciences Regulatory and Compliance Practice Group, and Margot Hall from our Healthcare Practice Group. We had a robust discussion that we are releasing as a four-part podcast series. What you will be listening to today is part two of that conversation in which we discussed what we expect from FDA and CMS as far as rulemaking and other policymaking in 2023. Looking ahead into 2023, why don't we talk about what we expect from the agency as far as rulemaking and guidance development and and just policy development. Josh, why don't we kick off with you on that? Sure, happy to. So I think first and foremost, uh, FDA has a lot of work to do in 2023, starting with uh, Fedora and its implementation of the new law. Fedora includes a complete overhaul of FDA's regime for cosmetics. The cosmetics provisions of Fedora require, among other things, facility registration and product and ingredient listing with FDA, serious adverse event reporting to FDA, compliance with certain labeling requirements, and the requirement to maintain records that adequately substantiate product safety. Those are all new requirements for cosmetics that go well above and beyond what was previously on the books. Also key is that the new law grants FDA mandatory recall authority for cosmetics under certain circumstances. That's something that's that FDA has never had for this product type. Importantly, the relevant provisions of, of, of Fedora that deal with cosmetics generally don't take effect until one year after enactment. So they won't take effect until essentially the end of 2023 for the most part. Um, but in the meantime, there are a number of there are things that FDA needs to be working on, um, including figuring out how cosmetic facility registration and product listing is going to work. What are those systems? What are the processes that companies will need to follow for that? These things are never as simple as the law often makes it seem, and implementation of that will be important. Uh, we also expect um, that FDA will be starting to work on some some rulemakings related to cosmetics. It, it doesn't have to issue a proposed rule on GMP requirements for cosmetics in 2023, but it does have to do it within the first two years after enactment of Fedora. Uh, and there also is a proposed rule that FDA needs to issue within 18 months of enactment on fragrance allergens being identified on cosmetic labels. Um, elsewhere, we expect FDA to be working on the clinical trial uh, diversity provisions of Fedora. There are a number of guidances that FDA has to put out, including uh, guidance on diversity action plans for clinical studies and what um, those need to include from a content standpoint. FDA also needs to issue a revised draft guidance on decentralized clinical studies, um, as well as the use of seamless concurrent and other innovative clinical trial designs. Uh, And last but not least on that front, FDA is also directed to have at least one public workshop this year uh, soliciting input from stakeholders on how to increase enrollment of historically underrepresented populations in clinical studies and encourage participation that reflects the prevalence of the disease or condition among demographic subgroups. The other thing I'll be watching is FDA's recent announcement at the end of January that existing regulatory frameworks for 
uh, foods and supplements are not appropriate for regulating CBD or cannabidiol. Uh, that's really interesting because a number of years ago, back before the pandemic ever happened, which probably a lifetime ago now, um, FDA was paying a lot of attention to CBD and the influx of these products to store shelves across the country. And there are a lot of public meetings and focus on how is FDA going to regulate CBD? What's the appropriate path here? Um, FDA has long taken the position that essentially ingestible cannabidiol, ing meaning CBD in a food or supplement form, is unlawful unless it's an approved drug. There was a regulatory mechanism by which FDA could change that if it were to issue a rulemaking to make cannabidiol an appropriate food additive or dietary supplement ingredient. And FDA's announcement at the end of January was effectively saying, no, we don't think we're going to do that. And we want to work with Congress on a new regulatory framework here for CBD. So it'll be an interesting thing to watch um, over the coming months and years. Kelly, why don't we turn to you now? Uh, what are your thoughts on other kind of FDA uh, regulations, guidances, things that will be developed in 2023? Yeah, thanks, Greg. Um, so Josh kicked it off by talking about some activities that FDA has to undertake as a result of Fedora. And, you know, one area in which FDA has a lot of work to do is with respect to accelerated approval reform. Um, so lots of new authorities and provisions and Fedora related to accelerated approval, including new FDA authority related to post-approval study, new procedures for expedited withdrawal of accelerated approval. Um, but there are certain provisions that will require some work on FDA's part. So for one thing, Fedora requires increased reporting. Uh, frequency and transparency, um, especially with respect to completion of post-marketing studies and, and progress of um, confirmatory studies. There's also a requirement that FDA issue guidance, um, including on topics like intermediate and surrogate endpoints and novel clinical study designs. And one thing that I think is really interesting is that Fedora requires FDA to set up what's called an accelerated approval council. Um, and this is a council that's comprised of senior leaders within FDA um, across the agency. And one of the primary objectives here is to ensure that these people are talking to each other so that there's consistency um, in accelerated approval practices across the agency, so that they're sharing information and best practices about how to handle um, applications for accelerated approval and so on. And under Fedora, FDA is required to report out on the council's activities basically at the end of the year. So that'll be interesting to see. Other areas that I think are, are worth watching this year, of course, digital health continues to be a really hot topic at FDA. Lots of guidance expected, um, particularly on the device side. Um, so if you look at the CDRH guidance agenda for this year, um, we're anticipating guidance on cybersecurity. We're anticipating guidance on the content of pre-market submissions for device software functions. And I think most exciting, uh, anticipating guidance on marketing submission recommendations for change control plans in artificial intelligence and machine learning enabled devices. So this guidance, if it actually comes out this year, will follow a lot of policy development from FDA. We saw the AI ML action plan in 2021 and a proposed framework on AI ML all the way back in 2019, as well as uh, you know just a lot of activity in this area generally. So it'll be interesting to see uh, more refined recommendations and actual guidance from FDA. 
On the drug side, um, you know, an area that we're watching closely is a new pilot program that FDA committed to as part of PDUFA. Um, so this pilot is called the Advancing Real World Evidence Pilot. And it provides an optional pathway within CEDAR and CBER for sponsors who want to use real-world evidence. And the goals of this program are to identify approaches for generating real-world evidence that meet regulatory requirements in support of labeling for effectiveness. So thinking about new indications, new patient populations, and so on, or for meeting post-approval study requirements. And here, uh, you know, another goal is to develop FDA processes that promote consistent decision-making with respect to real-world evidence. And something that I think will be particularly important and interesting to clients is to promote awareness of characteristics of real-world evidence that can actually support regulatory decisions. Um, so that's all going to be done in a public forum, and I'm excited to see what we learn this year through that process. Thank you, Kelly. And I'm realizing as you're talking about these topics that we have great client alerts that go into more depth on a lot of these subjects. Uh, so we encourage our uh, listeners or readers you might go visit our website and, and, and search for these topics with some really good content there. Beth, let's turn to you. What other topics are you following? Okay. Well, have you heard, Greg? The pandemic's over. <laughs> I've heard. Doesn't feel over. But the Biden administration has announced that it is going to allow the COVID public health emergency to expire on May 11th, 2023. And I think that has a lot of people and a lot of our clients wondering, well, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my um, products at UAs? What does that mean for my products that are being marketed pursuant to enforcement discretion policies? What does that mean for my exposure and potential protection um, under the PREP Act? So I'm going to take those issues in turn. First, um, to start with EUAs, EUAs that FDA has issued are based on authorizing declarations that FDA issued and are not based directly on the public health emergency declaration. So termination of the public health emergency Declaration does not affect emergency use authorizations currently in place. To render those EUAs ineffective, FDA has to determine that the circumstances justifying the emergency no longer exist and has to um, revoke the underlying authorizing declarations and must provide advance notice before doing so. So, um, I mean, the only other way to affect an EUA, and, and that's not really the focus here, but FDA can obviously revoke EUAs one by one if there's reason to do so. But for FDA to render these EUAs ineffective sort of en masse, um, not by revoking an individual EUA, it has to revoke the underlying authorizing declaration. For devices, FDA has promised that it would not do so for six months from finalization of transition guidances that it uh, issued in December 2021. Th that guidance has not yet been finalized. Um, FDA has not said anything at all about its intentions with respect to non-device EUAs, so those governing vaccines and, and therapeutics, but advance notice would also be required before those declarations would be allowed to expire to allow manufacturers of affected products to bring those products into compliance or to remove them from the market. And I, I think my guess is that uh, we won't see those underlying um, declarations revoked until we have full product approvals in place, at least for those vaccines that uh, the agency expects will continue to be in use in those therapeutics into the future. 
With respect to guidances, uh, enforcement policies and the like, at the outset of the pandemic, as FDA started issuing these enforcement policies, I think it was the expectation that upon the termination of the public health emergency, these um, guidances would expire, at least most of them. In connection with IVDs, I think FDA made it very clear on the face of those guidances that those wouldn't automatically terminate. But now we have a big morass because it's not totally clear to anyone, you know, which guidances will survive the um, termination of the public health emergency and, and which would expire automatically. So FDA has made an announcement that it plans to issue a federal register notice providing further clarity on these questions. And we understand specifically that the policies governing IVDs are tied to the declaration justifying those um, IVD EUAs in the first place, and they will terminate only when the declaration itself is terminated. FDA has indicated that it's going to provide a 180-day transition period for the other enforcement discretion policies. So beginning on May 11th, we'll have six months before FDA withdraws those policies. There are some operational policies that are likely to terminate immediately, um, those having to do with flexibility in the context of clinical trials, um, inspection procedures, um, some that sort of altered the requirements for drug and biologics manufacturing, reporting requirements. So there are a couple policies that we might see expire um, in May, but, but it looks like we have time, um, a lot of time for, for most of them. And then with respect to PrEP Act immunity, again, immunity is tied to the PrEP Act declaration, not the PHE declaration. So expiration of the PHE will not impact um, PrEP Act immunity. Uh, the expectation is that the PREP Act protections will be effective until either the PREP Act declaration is formally revoked or October 1, 2024, whichever is earlier. Thanks. I do wonder whether the expiration of the PHE declaration will prompt HHS to also to revoke the PREP Act declaration, but I guess we'll see. I mean, FDA had its hands full, really had its hands full during the during the pandemic, and now FDA is going to have its hands full trying to unwind the pandemic. This is a ton of work there. Great. Well, Margo, why don't we turn to you now? What, what do you see as the key developments, rulemaking, other policy developments for uh, for CMS for 2023? Well, FDA isn't the only agency that's going to be extremely busy. It will also be a very busy year for CMS and various other groups within HHS. There are four key areas I will be watching: the IRA. Part D reforms, CMMI, and HRSA action around the 340B program. But first and foremost, IRA implementation is going to be the theme of this year on the CMS front. The Department of Health and Human Services will be very busy this year implementing the IRA. There are some key deadlines coming up for the price negotiation program in particular. By September 1st of this year, CMS will publish the first Medicare Part D drugs that are selected for negotiation. The agency will then announce the negotiated maximum fair prices for those drugs by September 1st, 2024. And those prices will go into effect starting January 1st of 2026. That's going to be really interesting to observe what market changes evolve between September 1st, 2024, when that maximum fair price is made publicly available, and January 1st, 2026, when those prices actually go into effect for the Medicare program. More generally, though, if you look at the timeline for various components of the drug pricing provisions, it's very ambitious. 
There is a lot for CMS to do, even with the larger team the agency is bringing in. It does seem like the agency is going to be tripping over itself to implement the changes. And CMS seems to acknowledge this by indicating in its recently issued memo the deadlines that are and are not imposed by statute and indicating that it may adjust at any time the non-statutory deadlines. Even for those deadlines that are imposed by the statute, CMS is not necessarily immediately implementing. And the inflation-based rebates are a key example of that. CMS and guidance has said that it will invoice the Part D and Part B inflation rebates that have recently gone into effect by December 31st, 2025. In terms of how the agency is going to implement key components of the IRA, in particular the drug price negotiation program, it appears, at least with the drug price negotiation program, that the agency will not be implementing through notice and comment rulemaking. The agency said in its recently issued memo, it is voluntarily soliciting comments on key topics like the negotiation process itself, how to apply the maximum fair price, dispute resolution. There's one reference to rulemaking in that memo, and that discusses the possibility of rulemaking for price applicability years of 2027 or beyond. Second, there are major Part D changes afoot this year, given the upcoming Part D redesign. And apart from the IRA, Part D plans and pharmacies also need to account for the CMS final rule revising the way that Medicare determines a Part D drug's negotiated price. That change is scheduled to go into effect January 1st of 2024. It's projected to result in more predictable cash flow for pharmacies, lower cost sharing at the point of sale for beneficiaries, and higher premiums. And we have an extended client alert on that topic as well that you can find on our drug pricing landing page. Third, CMMI recently issued an eagerly awaited report regarding new models that the agency will be testing with regard to drug pricing. The secretary has selected three models that will be tested by the Innovation Center. They address themes that were outlined in President Biden's executive order last year and are intended to test questions of whether the agency can lower drug costs and promote access to innovative drug therapies. The three models that the center has put forth are first, a high value drugless model, which would establish maximum copayment amounts for a standard set of generic drugs with perceived high value in the Medicare program. Second, a cell and gene therapy access model that would pilot a new approach to outcome-based arrangements. Instead of state Medicaid agencies individually contracting with pharmaceutical manufacturers around outcome-based agreements, the state Medicaid agencies would have the option of assigning CMS with structuring and coordinating those multi-state outcome-based arrangements. So CMS would take on the lion's share of responsibility of implementing the arrangements, monitoring, evaluating the outcomes, et cetera. And CMMI has said they will target illnesses like sickle cell and cancer for purposes of those outcome-based arrangements. And third, there's an accelerating clinical evidence model that would adjust Part B payment amounts for drugs subject to accelerated approval to give manufacturers a, quote, incentive to expedite and complete confirmatory clinical trials. 
So certainly a lot to watch there. The center has said they will continue to develop and then work to begin to test those three models enumerated in the recently released report. The agency has said it will continue its engagement with different stakeholders for their feedback and input on the models. And finally, HRSA has proposed a new administrative dispute resolution process that will revamp the process that was adopted through a 2020 final rule. HRSA said that over the past two years, when manufacturers and others have been pursuing extensive litigation challenging the legal authority for contract pharmacies and the lawfulness of the administrative dispute resolution process itself, that the agency has identified, quote, policy and operational challenges with that 2020 final rule that necessitate revisions to the regulations. And so CMS proposed various changes, including to make the process less formal by removing application of the federal rules of civil procedure and the federal rules of evidence and eliminating the $25,000 minimum dispute threshold, among other changes. Public comments on that proposal were due January 30th of this year. So on the whole, several areas to watch on the administrative front from a drug pricing standpoint. Well, thank you, Margo, for your for your comments on what CMS is going to be working on in 2023. I fully concede that CMS is going to be extremely busy as well, just like the FDA. Thank you very much to our listeners for tuning in today. We will continue to provide additional news and analysis about regulatory developments and emerging issues from the federal government throughout 2023. You can access that information on our Capital Insights page on our main Ropes and Gray webpage, www.ropesgray.com. By listening to any of our Ropes Talk podcasts, including the past episodes of this podcast series, in our podcast newsroom on our website, or by subscribing to Ropes Talk wherever you listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Be sure to check out parts three and four of this podcast series in the coming days. Thanks again for listening.